Welcome to Milkmaid's Podcast, the unconventional homesteading podcast. I'm Stephanie from Wyoming. And I'm Tara from Montana. Join us each week as we take a deep dive into an inclusive homesteading topic from canning, dairy animals, gardening, animal husbandry, and everything in between. Hey, Tara. Hey. How's it going? Good. Good. We only talked for 12 minutes before recording this time. Hey, we are on a mission. I don't know what it is, but. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm going to ask you, like I always do, who are we shouting out? But we're not talking about that right now. I know. You changed this one up. I know. So it's all, everybody just hang on until the end. Right. It'll make sense at at that point. So the shout out's at the end. It is at the end. must know, like me. Like me. Like like Tara. Yeah, it, it's driving her crazy that I mix things up. It's fine. This is fine. It's, we're all good. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I guess you can say how to get a hold of us. All right. Well, if you want to ask us a question about everything we've covered so far, send us an email <laughs> at milkmaidspodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on Facebook or Instagram at milkmaidspodcast do all the things don't forget to rate review and subscribe yes we have a lot of canadian reviewers yeah well canadian people are so nice to help us out that way yes they feel bad for us because we can't measure anything (laughs) those poor crock pot ladies (laughs) they don't even know that milk comes in bags yes only in quebec i think i don't know get back to us i want to know about these milk bags and where they are at located in canada i guess where exactly where they're at cool what's your favorite bug i usually do the icebreaker you did literally everything i did everything one, so thank here's you. the thing i'm freaking obsessed with bugs yeah. our episode's very buggy very obsessed with bugs and so when i saw this on the schedule i'm like yeah yep i'm gonna do that right and then i just did the entire thing because yeah could not stop and you it, did it at like an odd hour in the morning too it was very well, early. Well, here's the thing. If both of my children are asleep, I can be productive. Yeah. And every once in a while, they're both asleep at five o'clock in the morning. Weird how that happens. Sometimes. That's <laughs> the time the baby's like, oh, we're up? Yeah. But yeah, they were both asleep. So your favorite bug, you're stalling. I need to know. I like beetles. Dude, you can't test mine. I didn't know it was yours. Uh, beetles are cool. You can take yeah. mine. Because guess what? <laughs> There's a couple that we can choose from. Oh, I like the ones that are green and shiny. What are those ones? Oh, there's, well, there's a lot. This is like, I don't know, a lot happens in college, right? (laughs) (laughs) You're there for four years. A lot happens. I swear to you, the amount of information that I have paid for that I have also forgotten is immense, right? Yeah. But for whatever reason, there's this one line from my evolutionary biology class that has always stuck in my head, probably just because of how much I like beetles, but... There's a British evolution, or there was a British evolutionary biologist. Named, Rest in peace. Right. <laughs> the late um, J.B.S. Haldane. And he was quoted for saying, well, okay, so he found himself in the company of a bunch of theologists. And oh. they, right, so theologists doing what theologists do, ask. And he's like, shoot, I have to Evolutionary be like biologist. Profound. Right. Think of something profound. Right. Wants to ask this evolutionary biologist if he believes in God or if he thinks the presence of God exists or however it was phrased, right? So his response to this is the creator, if he exists, has an inornate fondness for beetles. That's and adorable. And there's like nothing more nerdy of a response than that and i just love it but here's the thing did you know there's over four hundred thousand beetle species 
I didn't. Which is like more than any other animal as far as I species I didn't know that goes. either. Right. Wow. Whatever the afterlife looks like for me, I hope I am in the beetle design department. Yes. Because I swear, like, whoever's in charge of this is just designing beetles. It's like a pastime. Yeah. Obsessed with beetles. <laughs> it's their hobby. Right. They all have the different shell colors. Someone's just painting them. We're going to put a weird horn here, an antenna oh, there. Yeah. 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 And like, they're going to be able to roll dung. Right. Like 400 times <laughs> right. the size of their body. Seriously, they're crazy. So, yeah, it's just beetles are way cool. They're, they're my favorite. Yeah. Your favorite, too. I don't think bees are not technically bugs, are they? Yeah. They are. Spiders are not. Right. They're arachnids. Right. Yes. Okay. Well, so if I widened the category, you probably would have said spiders. I like spiders a lot. I had a pet spider. Yeah. Um, yeah, but they're technically not bugs. They're arachnids. Did you have like a tarantula or something like that? I did. I had a tarantula. Did you really? Yes. I've had a weird fascination with tarantulas lately. The only reason I didn't like having the tarantula is because you can't really pick it up because they can, if they itch their belly and like drop their hairs, it could cause you to have like a rash or something. I don't know. Oh, really? Yeah. I guess their hairs are um, irritating to yeah. the skin. That makes sense. Know. We like bugs. We like bugs. The synopsis of that. <laughs> I wasn't good, good. expecting us to have the same answer, but here so, we are. What's been going on on your farm? A lot. I know. Tell the people. I don't. Yeah. So one batch of pigs had greasy pig, which is just essentially staph, which if you catch early enough, not a big deal. You just give antibiotics for three days. So that's what we're doing. And it's just really fun to catch pigs and give them shots all the time. Piglets, uh, nonetheless. Yeah. Right. Which is like, yeah, they're hard to catch. Piglets are. Catch. I'm trying to figure out a way to describe it for people who've never tried to catch piglets. <laughs> That's They're why they fast. grease them up at the fair. And There's to nothing to hold on to. No. no and they you have to catch them by the legs. Fast. Yeah. If I haven't mentioned. Yeah. And loud. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. So then you finally do get a, t- a hold of one. And yeah. you're proud for like I, like a 60th of a second because then it screams and you get freaked out. So you let go. Yeah. And then Especially you're mad because you have to start again. Mom. Yeah. yeah. I just love, too, that the pig disease names oh, yeah, are they're... unreal. Like Dippity Pig. Right. Greasy Pig. Greasy Pig. These that, are disease names, by the greasy way. Greasy Pig. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Everything's just plain and simple. Like, you know what you're getting. Ugh. So we're doing Well, that. that's really fun that you have to do that. It just freaks me out. Like, staff is everywhere, yes. But then you're like, okay, this is confirmed staff, and it's living right there, and I milk a cow. So yeah. then you're like, okay, I have separate clothes for this chore, and I have to come in and change to do this chore super fun yeah my life is fun everyone should start a farm i 10 out of 10 recommend (laughs) right but here's the thing like i think this is a good example though like shit does happen on farms all the time that you don't want to have happen right and sometimes there's things you could do about it and sometimes there's not and like you're in a situation right now where you cannot not milk the cow right right so instead you've up to biosecurity and having different clothes for this chore versus that chore, washing hands and all of that in between. And like, that's a good example of that. You can still get stuff done. Even when the worst is happening, you can just adapt and overcome yeah. and you have to on the farm. Right. Yeah. They don't give you a choice. They're like, that's fine. No. That's right. fine. You can skip me today. Right. <laughs> right. Well, you could, but uh, you'd be out of milk. So. Right. Right. So what about you? I, again, Still don't really go outside all that often, but we cleaned out our giant chest freezer the other day yeah. over the weekend, Yeah, uh, which needed to happen. Like it had gotten 
so unorganized that at some point we just kind of stopped using it. And I knew this was happening. Like I recognized that we were pulling yeah. pork that was newer than the pork that was in that chest freezer because you couldn't get to it. You had to take out everything to find it, right? Right. Anyways, it was good to get all that stuff out and get like... So now we have a pork freezer and we have a poultry freezer and some of the beefs in the poultry thing because we don't have much. But And now we can see what else in there. But here, the one kind of weird thing that I came across that I had forgotten about was that whenever we process chickens, I always um, save the feet, heart, and liver for um, broth. And so my little processing hack um, is that as we're processing chickens, we throw these things into individual bowls, right? All the hearts go here, all the livers go there, all the feet go there. And at the end, or whenever the bowls fill up, whatever, we take bags and I'll put like a handful of hearts, handful of livers, and a handful of feet into a bag, Mm -hmm. close it up. And that would be then the ingredients to make one batch of broth, right? Okay, yeah. So I've got these bags that I can just grab whenever I need to make broth. And this was more of a necessity to have this sort of system when I was making broth to sell. By the way, if you're farming for profit and you're not making broth to sell, start because it's the cheapest thing and people freak out for it and will pay an insane amount of money for it. Yeah. But I've discovered in this chest freezer that I have, I would say at least 60 of those bags. Oh, wow. Of broth stuff around. So I um, drug out the old trusty Instant Pot, and that girl has been nonstop making broth. <laughs> I have a batch, like, ready. I didn't want to turn it on while we were recording, but it's ready to push start as soon as we're done. Perfect. Anyhow, and then as it's coming out of there, I'm doing the steps necessary to get it canned. So I canned oh, yeah. a batch of it today, and about two Instant Pots, two Instant Pot batches are, are doing about one canner's worth. Mm-hmm. of broth so it'll be a slow go but <laughs> that's awesome but uh trying to get it out of the freezer because it's it's just getting freezer burned and stuff in there it needs to be used so figure that way it can be shelf stable right yeah yeah so anyways i'm doing that and then the other exciting thing that has nothing to do with anything is that i finally after like a year of owning this used i got this used arrow garden right one of those little oh, hydroponic yeah. i have one of those systems that sit on your counter yeah. I had grabbed it during a garden season off of our like used Facebook page for the area yeah. for like 20 bucks or something, but I didn't oh, want to do it. Yeah. I didn't want to do it while we were gardening outside. That didn't seem like it made any sense. So anyways, I have starts just barely little lettuces, just barely yeah. germinated in there, but I'm really excited for it. They're fine. My, my daughter helped me set it up. She was all, she was all stoked. I know they get really excited about it. We did back like early this fall, we had done about seeds and apples and starting apple seeds, right? And trees yeah. and life cycle and how all that works. And so every time she sees seeds now, she's really excited about it because she understands a bit yeah, of how they work, you know, yeah. which is really cool. That's one thing that's kind of fun about that. So that ties in none to what we're talking about today. As per usual. <laughs> right? We need to escape our lives, really. So that's why we talk about things we're not dealing with currently. <laughs> Still have two feet of snow on the ground, and we are going to talk about pollinator gardens. Yes, we are. So excited about this. Pollinator gardens. What are pollinators? Pollinators are animals that pollinate plants, right? We tend to immediately think of honeybees, and while they are in fact pollinators, they are truly a tiny portion of the pollinator world. So did you know that there are over 4,000 bee species? Honeybees are just one of them. Yeah. Right. And I kind of, when we did our honeybee episode, I got to look at like just the genealogy of bees and yeah. the evolution of them. And the tree is like wild to look at. 
this is what happens when we research things. Yeah. Yeah. And and the same coin, I researched like the uh, royal family and theirs is basically like one line because they inbred right. so much, whereas honeybees are like all over the place. So be more like right. a honeybee. <laughs> it's not the royal family. Now we're giving marriage advice. <laughs> Pollinator garden slash marriage advice. Can we please title this? <laughs> You're welcome. Now we know. Now we know. But there are birds, bats, native bees, beetles, wasps, wasps, moths, flies, and other small mammals that are pollinators as well. Did you know that the lemurs are pollinators? Then there's a specific pollinator for a specific tree that's adapted that only lemurs can pollinate them with their fingers. That's really cool. It's fascinating to me. We learned about that in homeschool last year. Right. Homeschool your children. It will make you smarter. (laughs) Yes. It really will change your life. (laughs) And parenting advice. Yes. Perfect. Oh, wow. We're just yeah, we've a got full it all. gamma on here. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> so pollination essentially just means that the animals travel from plant to plant, and by doing so, they collect and redistribute pollen between the plants. This is crucial because it distributes genetic diversity among the plants and allows them to reproduce. Pollination is essential to many food plants because that is the mechanism in which produces the food. So think of fruits, for example. That's a really common one. Mm -hmm. And pollination is actually responsible for one out of every three bites of food that we eat. That sounds like a lot, but I was kind of surprised it wasn't more. Yeah. I think of like grains. Obviously, that's not something that's... Do you think of what? Grains. They're not using pollination. I thought you said something entirely different. Brains. Yes. I eat brains every morning. (laughs) You were talking about like brain development or something. Good. Go ahead. (laughs) Uh, We need pollination because this is like source from pollinator.org. You can find our show notes in the show uh, below. So if you want to look below and see all of these links, go ahead. (laughs) Wow. We need pollination because it brings us countless fruits, veggies, and nuts. This is applicable to your home garden as well. And half of the world's oils, fibers, and raw materials, it helps prevent soil erosion. This is a huge one that's becoming more understood now. As opposed Mm -hmm. to like 30 years ago even. Yeah. And it increases carbon sequestration. In terms of dollars, pollinators add $217 billion to the global economy. Honeybees alone are responsible for $1.2 to $5.4 billion in egg productivity in the U.S. alone. Look at almonds. That's like a big portion of it. Which is another rabbit hole if you want to get into almonds and how they can be very destructive to the earth. But... (laughs) good um <laughs> bring up almond milk and we can go on another tangent right i get really passionate about that <laughs> me too so those are just the specific ways it can help us but keep in mind that these pollinators are critical to the ecosystem that they belong to as well these e- ecosystems clean our air stabilize the soils and feed other wildlife like we're not the only ones living on this earth no and we use the other wildlife as well so right yeah it all goes together Right. Uh, Between loss of habitat and pesticide use, many pollinators are on the decline and they absolutely need our help. So pollinators generally need three things, food, shelter, and nesting sites, and also protection from pesticides. So food is the main thing that people tend to think of. And this is the uh, base topic, pollinator gardens, right? So We can help these pollinators by growing gardens of plants that are perfect for their needs. And each pollinator has slightly specific needs, though, on what plants they like. Um, And what plants you plant will depend on what you're trying to attract. So bees tend to like bright and flat flowers, whereas hummingbirds like tube flowers. 
in orange, pink, or red. I, this is perfect. Bats love moonflowers. I love bats. Which open at night. Bats yeah. are, yeah. Like I was, I originally was going to ask you what your favorite pollinator was, but oh. then I was like, but then I would have to choose between bats and beetles and I can't. So <laughs> you simply can't. No. I rigged it in my favor. I read that question, but As bats does. love moonflowers. I want to figure out a way to plant moonflowers here. They don't, the regular, like classic moonflowers, they're not going to work here. No. It's too damn cold. So I need to do research on how to get more bats. We have some in the summer. I yeah. love them. I, I assume you would be the same, tend to think that an all-inclusive garden is the best. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Since all of the pollinators are super beneficial and they all could absolutely use our, ben- or our help. So with that, there's a couple specific things that we can think about when planting a pollinator garden. First, look at your space and figure out how to capitalize on that. And remember, just because we're calling it a pollinator garden doesn't mean that it has to be isolated to one raised bed or one single spot on your land. Feel free to mix these plants amongst your veggies, your fruits, your orchard, your lawn, your hardscape, whatever it is, because they'll appreciate it and be drawn to any and all of it. It doesn't have to be in one condensed area. And to kind of to prove that market gardeners are finding serious improvement in their crop yield when they plant rows of flowers mixed in between their row crops. Yeah. Which is like, obviously, but it's cool to see it actually producing in numbers. Yeah. The other thing you want to think about is timing on blooms because pollinators are much are active much earlier and much later than most basic flowers are in bloom. Like most basic flowers are in bloom. The hottest part of summer right but we still have to think about spring and fall so for spring ideas spring bulbs are great and there could not be easier tulips daffodils that kind of stuff make sure also to take care of the the back end which i always forget about i don't forget about i like i'm very enthusiastic for spring and summer and by the time fall rolls around i'm like shutting it down so yeah i'm gonna try to do better on this this year too but make sure to plant flowers that have specific fall blooms Um, asters and goldenrods are a good example of those. This is a side note. Try to avoid hybrid flowers if you can, Um, especially those with doubled flowers. Doubled flowers are so pretty, but it makes it hard for the insects to get in in and out to get any nectar and pollen. Oh, I didn't Um, know that. And then hybrid, you know what I'm talking about with the doubled flower? Yeah. Where it's like the whole thing is filled in with floof. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing about hybrids is that in general, they aren't bred for pollen and nectar production. And sometimes just in the method of which they're bred for other things, pollen and nectar production can kind of be lost in that. Not all hybrids. Some are obviously just fine. But if you just kind of avoid them in general, because that would stink to put a bunch of money into your yard, do all hybrids, and it's not even helping the pollinators. Right. Sometimes you have to, though. Like I have participate in buying hybrid flowers here a lot of times because... That's all I can do in the cold. Right. Um, And in that case, if you're in extreme weather, experiment, make notes, see what, if it's working or not, you know? Yeah. Because they're definitely not all a no-go. And then this one, we sound like a broken record because we always say this, but keep in mind your USDA zone in which you're growing. Choose flowers that are going to thrive in that zone. That will be super important to your success, as well as being sure that the insects that live in your area are familiar with those plants as well. And then taking that a step further, perhaps the best thing you can do for your native pollinators is work with native plants. Keep in mind they evolved together. So this will ensure that the insects in your area are completely adapted to the flowers you're planting, which will provide them the most accurate assistance. If you feel like you don't have time to look up all of these flowers and design an area with your garden in mind with like specific bloom times and stuff, then working with native plants is going to be a go-to for you. And I know that for me, like sometimes when I, I'm so type A, when I think about vegetable gardening, 
I can do that, right? Because like vegetable gardening kind of to its flaw has been designed for the type A person. Like this yeah. row is broccoli, that row is cauliflower, right? Yeah. It's It makes my little spreadsheet mind very happy. I would <laughs> love to get away from that because I think that permaculture and having things working together is a better way to go. But my mind struggles to look at a space and creatively put it together that way. Yeah. Flowers are very much so that way. Like I look at beautiful landscaping and it's not in lines, it's not in rows. um, And my brain just can't visualize in that way yet. I'm going to train it. You know, you can always work on it. But um, so whenever I think about planting like a space that's pretty with flowers, I get very overwhelmed. Um, And so for me, doing native plants is way easier for me. And the Xerxes Society, which we have links to all of this below, has a link on their site that will send you to very specific seed mixes that were designed for your climate and your area for your garden. So that's amazing. That's, right. How cool is that? So check the link there and you just search for your state and then order those seeds. So now all you have to do is prep the land you want to plant, sprinkle the seeds and forget about them. Water yeah. if you need to, right? Yeah. But that's awesome for me. Cause I'm like, I get so overwhelmed by a layout design. I just won't do it. Yeah. <laughs> right? So if I can just sprinkle stuff and say, Hey, I'm going for this wildland look. Yeah. Perfect. It makes it so easy. And really anybody has time to do that. So, but you're, you're better at design than I am. You have more of a creative. It's a chaos mind. Brain. Yeah. Yeah. But you're more comfortable with it. And a lot of people are, yeah. a lot of people really thoroughly enjoy that and are gifted at it. So Either way, there's more than one way to get it done is what I'm saying. It can be overwhelming when you have a large space and then you just have tiny seeds and then you're like, okay, I have to plant all of these. You know what I mean? Like you can't visualize it until they start coming up and they're like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I get that totally. Yeah. It's easier for me if I have them in pots where I can like set them out. Yeah. But that still gives me massive anxiety. Like when I'm planting my perennials and stuff, I'm like, this is going to be here forever if I don't pick the right spot. But that's ridiculous. (laughs) You can move perennials, by the way. Yes, you can. Right. Shelter and habitat. This is something that is frequently forgotten about when it comes to pollinator gardens. Providing food is only one step. And luckily, it is really easy to give them shelter and habitat. In most cases, that just means being neglectful. Quote, unquote. Quote, unquote. (laughs) And so what we mean by that is one of the biggest assists you can provide is by not cleaning up your garden in the fall. We talked about this. Was it last week or the week before? I feel like we bring, I bring this up whenever I can. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I do too. And it's really cool to see those dead sunflowers with snow on them. Mine are still up. They're beautiful. I think it's really neat. And it just Uh goes to show like the life cycle that a garden has on its own. And leaving that soil undisturbed is just so good for your garden too. So just leave it alone in the fall. And many of these insects, they do hibernate and or lay their eggs on or in the plants in your garden. So by leaving them undisturbed for the winter until you have at least seven consecutive days where the daytime temperature is about 50 degrees or above ultimately the longer you can leave it the better so for us we definitely do that and if we can't say for instance I want to plant potatoes I am an early potato planter I've mm-hmm. always had luck with it I'll just uh disturb that one section yes if I have to get that in there you don't have to yeah. do the entire garden right so for me I do the potatoes and I just disturb where I want to plant the potatoes yeah we did not do that the first year the first year that we bought, we bought in the middle of summer and didn't have the opportunity to do much of a garden. Yeah. 
like certain bugs that I always look for, like our bumblebees, for example. Yeah. Um, Because those are definitely like number one or number two or three on my list. Like we didn't have hardly any of them for the first two years. And the second year we pulled out our garden thinking that's what we needed to do. And when we started leaving it, like this last summer, I was seeing multiple big floofy fat butt bumblebees (laughs) a day. And it was wonderful. (laughs) Yeah. But it's so cool to see your efforts and you will see You'll see. It I doesn't promise. take very long no. for it to change, too, because no. I don't like feel like season. we... Yeah. Yeah. We didn't have a lot of butterflies here. I was the only one that was able to garden in this area, and it's just exploded with the pollinators, and yeah. especially hummingbirds, but I feed the hummingbirds throughout yeah. the summer, and we have like 40 at a time. It's that helps amazing. Too, yeah. Yeah. So another big help is like leaving dead trees or at least a dead branch. These are crucial for native bees to build their homes in and if you don't have anything like that and still want to help bee condos are so cool they're like little apartment bee bee apartments and nobody charges rent it's the perfect (laughs) situation (laughs) they can be as simple as drilling holes into a log or scrap lumber and the holes should be varied in size and three to five inches deep you can also buy really elaborate bee condos a lot of places here sell them like garden centers sell them Uh, But they're a lot cheaper to make for sure. (laughs) Yeah, they don't have to cost money. The ones you're going to make are not going to be as cute. If you guys have never seen these bee condos, look them up because they really are, like Tara said, bee apartments. Yeah. They're adorable. I I have um, a couple goals this summer and a bee condo is one of them. Yeah, and they really help out bee carpenter bees. Yeah. Just other bees. A lot of native species. Yes. Mm And I feel like if we are utilizing this land, we need to be able to give back too. And that's a way to give back to the pollinators. Yeah. And it's like, I don't even know if it classifies as giving back when they in turn give back to you. It's like so much scratching each other's back sort of thing. Yeah. Symbiotic relationship. Be back scratches. (laughs) So there are some specific things you can do for butterflies. If you want butterflies, be sure to plant food for their caterpillars. Remember that they are going to eat, so get excited rather than upset when you see leaf damage. If nobody's trying to eat your garden, it's (laughs) a bad sign. Right. Yes. Right. It's not good. Like, you shouldn't be eating it if nobody else is eating it. Right. (laughs) And you can assist feeding the butterflies by leaving out certain food scraps. They love overripe bananas, oranges, and other fruits, which is great because essentially no farm animals will eat oranges. Yeah. No, I know. Bugs will. Yes. Butterflies also need a wide range of minerals. You can assist them by providing sea salt. And you can do this by setting out a sponge soaked in salt water, which is adorable. They're going to come take their sponge bath with sea salts. It is a butterfly spa. Right. Or you can set up a damp salt lick using a drip irrigation line or a bird bath in the soil to create a damp area. Then mix a bit of sea salt in. And wood ash works well, too, for lots of minerals. And seriously, we, like, need to do a whole episode on wood ash. And its uses, number one, soap. Right. I feel like we've had so many times where, like, and you could use wood ash. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's the options new duct are tape. endless. Yes, right. <laughs> homestead duct tape. Right. And if butterflies are your passion and main concern when it comes to pollinator gardens, be sure to check the link in our show notes. The U.S. Forest Service has a nice page with butterfly resources, and there is even a link where you can register to become a certified monarch way station. Basically, it's a pledge to help Pretty the cool. monarchs by planting monarch specific plants. You can even get a cool sign for your garden, and this is absolutely true. Also, did you know that if somebody's harassing you about, like, leaving your garden 
or your lawn or whatever and growing native plants and not mowing, you can get it certified as a wildlife reserve. And then they can't touch it or they can't complain to like HOAs or whatever. Are you serious? Yes. Yes. A whole bunch of people you have to do that. In cities are doing that because they want to grow things for pollinators because essentially in cities they're all spraying their crappy lawns with pesticides and then the pollinators have absolutely nowhere to go. So these people are buying houses and then turning their lawn into native lawns, I guess you could call them. Flowers and Yeah. 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 And then they're seeing a huge population in wildlife. I love that. Yeah. So if your neighbor is giving you shit, become certified as a wildlife reserve area. Lastly, in terms of habit, you can add a watering station. They absolutely need a drink too. It might have been a long time since they've had one, right? Right. And there are lots of lots of ideas out there for this. And whatever you end up with, try to provide them lots of means to not drown. And it doesn't have to be marbles. I see a lot of people do marbles and Mm -hmm. that obviously costs money. It can be pebbles that you and your kids collect or bigger rocks mixed with smaller rocks it just needs to be something where they can get up out of the more items you have that break the surface of the water the better you can do something as simple as a pie pan with rocks in it or a specifically designed water feature you can cut wine bottle corks in half lengthwise and float them in a bird bath yeah and what i found that works the best for us because we've we have been doing this for a while for our honeybees not even knowing that it would be helping the pollinators, other pollinators as well. But we have a ton of these laying around. I'm sure most of us do those big um, bell chicken waters. Yeah. Right. And then we just place rocks in the brim. So we like that because you don't have to add water all of the time, but they still have water and rocks so they don't drown. Yeah. That's a really good way to do it. So protection from pesticides. This is probably the most obvious. So you want bugs and you don't want to spray them with bug killer right that's right down and dirty of it right it's not that easy though so you can modify practices on your property with your family that means zero pesticides there are so many natural ways to detour specific bugs from specific areas and you really really don't need pesticides when it comes down to it and while you can't control everyone around you you can do some things passively you can hang signs in your yard and garden that are educative like pollinator garden pesticide free or get that shirt that says save our nighttime pollinators it has a super cute bat on the front (laughs) i included that because that's my favorite shirt that i own (laughs) save our nighttime. i want to see it well you can see it other than it's been washed so many times that it's illegible now (laughs) bless it's sad i know i need to find another one and you can also be less passive and go talk to your neighbors ask them if you can plant flowers in their yard or talk to them about the harm of pesticides and if you are so inclined, work with your community and be the voice for the bugs. And this, uh, we have a lot of wasps here. Mm-hmm. They serve their purpose too, as much as I hate them. Like I will have to spray them if they're in the propane tank because like you have to open that and it's just one of those things. Like it's not safe for them to be there. We can't get propane if they're in there. But if they're in a place where I'm not really bothered by them, I try to leave them. Yeah. And that's, yeah, everybody hates wasps and I get it. I do too. Uh, But they are important pollinators. Yeah. So if they're doing their thing, let them be. Let them be. Be. (laughs) 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 Oh, my gosh. It's ridiculous to see, like, monoculture crops and how much pesticides and herbicides are running off into water. That, too. Right. And We talked about this on – remember when we talked about the robot gardeners? Yeah. Yeah, that were, like, spraying pesticides in this one area or herbicide or whatever it was. But yeah, that's the 
the response to it because there's so much runoff. Yeah. Which then affects our fish and drinking it water and literally frogs. affects everything. Yeah. So. So don't do it. Don't do it. Um, and vote with your wallet. Buy right. things that aren't sprayed. So finally, the moment you've all been waiting for, our shout out. So now that we've learned a bit about pollinators, it's time to meet the organization that can take our efforts much further. And this is a little bit different than our usual shout out, but I feel like it's really important because I had never heard of this organization until um, I started homesteading. And I know a lot of people haven't, but they're they're really cool. So, um, so we're talking about the Xerxes Society today. So the Xerxes Society for Invertebrate Conservation is an international nonprofit organization that protects the natural world through conservation of invertebrates and their habitats. So there's like a lot of organizations that do this for mammals, right? Like Save the Pandas. These are like the people who are doing it for bugs, which is so important. Some of this is just straight off of their website. As a science-based organization, they both conduct their own research and rely upon the most up-to-date information to guide their conservation work. And the key program areas are pollinator conservation, endangered species conservation, and reducing pesticide use and impacts. Their website's really cool because they have like a huge number of free resources, which is incredible. They really just want everyone to have the tools to help the bugs. It's the most important. And one of the most useful things that they offer is information specific to your area. So you can go on there and select your area on the map and they have all of the info from starting a garden to specific plant list to pesticide information, um, but all for very specific locations. And don't forget, so these are the people who offer the specific seed mixes that work well in your area as well. And to clarify, they don't offer the seed mixes. They offer resources, information. Yeah. This company has a seed mix that'll work for you or what have you. And then one thing that's really cool is that you can sign up for the pollinator protector pledge. And this is just you making a commitment to help the pollinators. You can choose um, to have your garden on their map as well. And guess what, Tara? What? (laughs) I looked and there are zero Xerxes pollinator gardens. Absolutely not. In either of our counties. I do not accept it. So we we're changing this, right? We're changing this. I, I, think, I want all of our friends to do it too. Yeah. Yeah. Do no, it. I think we should. Like, I mean, it's, it's no, it's not a, there's no money involved. You don't get any gold stars, but it's just a cool thing to be like, yes, I'm doing this. And I am with all of these other cool people who are doing it as well. And right. And when you feel down about it, you can be like, you know what? Those pollinators are really counting on me. Right. I gotta get out there and do it. Seriously. Yeah. Go pour yourself a drink, go sit out in your yard. And if you see bugs, or if you don't Pat see yourself bugs. on your back. Right. Make some choices. Yeah. So um, anyways, I just thought that was really cool. And I think I'm going to sign up for it because yeah. I want to be the first one in my county. How cool is that? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Will we get our names in the newspapers? <laughs> you know what? Um, if I told my newspaper, I guarantee you they would. <laughs> They'd be like, yeah. this is the biggest news to hit this county yep. all year. Yeah. <laughs> this is what happens when you live so rurally. They'd be like, we are finally on the map. Yes. <laughs> Oh my gosh. So if you can help support them financially, awesome. You can become a member um, and you get benefits from that, obviously, but it's a monthly deal or you can do a one-time donation or you could just shop their store. So the first thing I'm going to pick up is the pollinator habitat sign, like we were saying, as a way to educate. Get one there. It's a really cute one. They also have several books that look really cool too, like specifically bugs and agriculture. Awesome. Things like that. So anyhow, and... (laughs) Closing remarks here (laughs) (laughs) to wrap up our speech. Both of us have always loved bugs. 
and you and I both. Yeah. When we started gardening, their presence was welcomed. However, I know that's not the experience for some people, right? Like bugs are one of those things that have been villainized in our society. If you are scared or unsure of bugs, this is your calling to take some time to learn about them, specifically pollinators. Learn about how amazing they are, how much they do for us and our environment. And it'll change your perspective on it. Like if this episode hasn't helped, hopefully it has, right? Ignite that a little bit because I know like... And even even me, to some degree, I've always loved bugs, but I've always been slightly fearful of bees or wasps, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and when we got in, started doing our honeybees, that changed a lot for me, right? Yeah. And then seeing the results in the garden and then right, discovering that wasps are pollinators as well. It's like, oh, crap, I got to like them, I guess, you know? <laughs> um, sometimes jumping in can help with the fear. But if you're truly scared of bugs and can't overcome it, just a reminder that not all pollinators are bugs. Right. There's several birds and bats that are highly important as well. Um, lemurs, get yourself a lemur. <laughs> There's several things that you can do to help the birds and bats in particular. Look up specific plants for them. Like if you can do moonflowers, I envy you and please do and send me all of the pictures yes. of your moonflowers. But you can also build or buy bird or bat houses. Yeah. Which I, like, I kid you not, like two years ago, learned what a bat house was. Oh, wow. And I'm obsessed. Yeah. They're yeah. really cool. So anyways, but, um, and then remember to offer the water. Like, you can do those two simple little things. Put a bird bath out there and build a birdhouse and you've contributed. Yeah. Right. So anyways, just a reminder, people tend to get focused on the bugs and then also focused on the butterflies. I think it just frequently goes down, down. Oh, that I usually think of hummingbirds, but I have so many. As pollinators? Yeah. Yeah. I think of hummingbirds as like being really pretty and we enjoy them and we have feeders. Yeah. But they're definitely not what I would have first thought of if somebody. Oh, interesting. Like family feud. What's a pollinator? I wouldn't have said hummingbirds. <laughs> That's like one of the top pollinators that I think of is a hummingbird. Yeah. yeah. I feel like bees are probably the most for people. Right. But what do you, have you thought about your garden much yet? It's February. Still cold. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to do some like raised beds for flowers that the deer can't eat. Yeah. And there are a lot of ones that are also pollinator garden types. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I'm going to try and get some more wild uh, native flower seeds and plant those as well. And I've just been scattering them. I'm not sure if it's working that well because I also have chickens and chickens are assholes if they're free ranging. Right. So I'm going to keep trying that. Um, But I definitely do want to focus more on flowers because... A lot of the times, once you establish them, they'll reseed themselves or they're yeah. perennials. So I want to keep that going. What about you? Yes. we. I feel like I add every year something. Um, I tend to, in the fall, we'll look and get a bunch of like bulbs on sale. Yeah. Um, and so we have hundreds of tulips that come up. Right. I had intended to do daffodils this fall, but your girl was way too pregnant. Way pregnant. So anyways, I'll do that this fall. But speaking of deer, daffodils are a good candidate. I have daffodils actually. Yeah. Yeah. And then my big thing, I want to work on some habitat. Like I want the bat house and the bee condo. We already do a lot of other things for the habitat, but, um, specifically I'd like to look up what other things I can do to help the bats. Yeah. In particular, that's obviously very selfishly motivated, but we, (laughs) um, this year we are trimming down our garden by like at least half yeah. Um, cause we have a big ass garden and if we're not growing for, we're growing for like some select families this year, not, not market. Right. Right. So anyways, we're planting at least half of it in flowers Right. And for the bees, for our bees, obviously that benefits us in multiple ways. Now we've got pollinators and honey. So, but yeah, bats, bats are going to be a pretty big focus for me. 
Bats. Bats. I get it. I love them. I want to see if you do increase them. I know. And I don't know how I'll measure that other than just, we love to sit out um, at the end of the day, out in yeah. the, like at the edge of the garden in our backyard yeah. here and um, just have a drink and sit in chairs and wait for the sun to go down. And That's sweet. Yeah. Usually as the sun's going down, you'll see a bat here and there. We don't have very many of them. Yeah. So that's what, yeah, it'll be fun to see if we can increase them this year or maybe some things take a full season before you see the results. So right, we'll see what we can do. But yeah, I, uh, the bat house is real high on my list. Yes. I've been researching like the best places to put them and I haven't picked out a spot yet. That's awesome. I'm obsessed. They're going to be my friends. (laughs) (laughs) I think also too, we forget that birds, if you are a fan of birds, you like to have birds around and you use pesticides, you're essentially killing their food or poisoning mm-hmm. their food. So that's why we're seeing so little birds now compared to even when you and I were kids. Right. I, I think it was Hidden Brain where they did uh, – this man has been recording the same patch of land for like 20 years during the summer or spring. Oh, gosh. And so like 20 years ago, he could identify like 20 different bird species. And then to now where there's only like three or four. It's astronomical the amount – that's dropped yeah that's nuts yeah so uh it's kind of selfish to just think of ourselves like we the bugs are important not only for us but for the wildlife it goes back they truly are the foundation yes insects really are the foundation of our ecosystems and then birds help for all sorts of other things yeah so Um, you know don't kill don't kill that beetle don't kill that spider you better not kill a beetle (laughs) stuff will come after you for you yes All right. Well, on that note, happy milking. Happy milking. (laughs) Bye. Plant some pollinator gardens. Do it. Bye. Bye.